Well, evening again. Good to see you. Glad that you're joining us online. I want to spend just a brief moment in the book of Acts. But if you see on your screen, I've added a word. And that word is an interlude. An interlude is a pause. And it's a quick pause where we take a break from the story that Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, is telling. You might recall that Acts is the story of how the good news of Jesus is on the move to everyone, everywhere. This is the on-again, off-again series that we've been plugging away at intermittently for the last three years. And in the Acts interlude, you might think of it like a clip show. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about when I say a clip show. Let me familiarize you. Go back with me in your mind to ABC's TGIF. Anybody? TGIF. Ooh, thank goodness it's Friday. Full House. Family Matters. All those shows that you cannot believe were somehow primetime television because, man, does it look different now. But one of the devices often employed by shows like that on TGIF is they would burn a whole new show by showing old clips. Now are you understanding? A clip show is a brand new show, a brand new episode comprised of old clips. This interlude is a clip show. It's functional for time's sake because I looked at the next section in the book of Acts chapter 19 and it's like 25 verses and I know myself well enough to know if I'm going to try to do an announcement at the end of the service, I cannot be doing 25 verses of a crazy scene in Acts chapter 19. So it's functional. But I think it's also essential to step back and pay attention to the broader movement of what God's been doing. Because Acts is the story of how the good news of Jesus is what? On the move. And I have been captivated since a few weeks ago when we dipped back into the book of Acts at just how much ground gets covered. Not just geographically, but theologically. Not just theologically, but relationally. Luke is screaming at us chapter to chapter that he really means everyone is welcomed in. That he really means everywhere needs to hear good news. You see, in a clip show, you'd have some character say something in the new part like, well, I don't say dumb things. And then you immediately cut to a montage of that character saying dumb things. I think about home improvement. I've never burned up a lawnmower or broken anything in the house. Cut to a 20-minute montage because that's all Tim Allen's character did in Home Improvement. What we want to do tonight in the interlude is to take a step back and see a montage of movement. To just pause and say, man, we've covered a lot of ground. I was thinking about this because where we left off last week in Acts chapter 19 was this little paragraph right at the end of Paul's climax of his ministry. And it sounds like this 
in Acts chapter 19, verses 21 to 22. We read this last week, and I didn't give it enough attention. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, then passing through Macedonia and Achaia. And then he says, after I've been there, I must visit Rome also. This is a turning point, a transition point. This is a cliffhanger midway through the season. Because the last section of Acts is going to be Paul, who has been here, there, and everywhere, making his way to his terminus in Rome. His goal, his end point. Verse 22. So he sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia, while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. Tonight we're looking at a montage of movement because really when push comes to shove, Acts is a story of movement and I believe that your life is a story of movement also. We're going to see the movement that is theological and relational as I mentioned in the book of Acts. But think about your life and let me ask you this. Are you in the same place theologically that you were 10 years ago. Let me say it this way, if you're not familiar with the term theology. Theology is the study of God. Do you think exactly the same way about God and his work in the world now that you did 10 years ago? How about when you were a child? So there's been some movement. Are you in the same place now relationally that you were 10 years ago? Or have some of those relationships ebbed or flowed? Are you in the same place experientially? Are you experiencing life and relationships and God the same way now that you were 10 years ago? So, if we've experienced some kind of movement, theologically, relationally, experientially, what is it about people of faith that have said it and forget it and never leave themselves open to what God might be doing next. What makes us think, when we look at Acts, or we look at our life, that God is going to stop moving? That he's going to stop moving you toward new experiences, new people, new challenges, so that he might show you that he can give you the resources to make it through even then? If you look at the Gospels, Jesus was always on the move with his disciples. I think about when Peter made his confession. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus goes, whoa, you're right. God must have told you that. And he had all the right content. And then not a little while later, Jesus says, all right, we're going to Jerusalem. And I'm going to go get crucified. And Peter, who just said the right content, says, uh, no way. And then Jesus says, no, you just missed it. I'm moving toward the cross. Are you coming? Sometimes we can have the right content, but we need to be open to the context in which the Spirit is moving that we might go where he's leading, that we might pay attention and respond appropriately. That's the story of the Gospels. Well, after Jesus is crucified and then raised, and then we see him spending time 
with his disciples, teaching them more and more and more about the kingdom. So now we go back to Acts chapter 1. And they ask him, Hey, now are you finally going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And we might look at him and say, Silly disciples. But they're thinking like, okay, that cross thing, we didn't want to go there. That was weird. The resurrection thing, that was a surprising movement in the story. But we kind of like that you're here. So now that you're here, listen, are you going to do what we expected the way we want it? That's what they're asking. They were imagining that the kingdom would look like a king on a physical throne And that the only people that would be the beneficiaries of said kingdom were the ones that looked like them, ate like them, dressed like them, sounded like them. So Jesus responds to their question. It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Which is a gentle way of saying, you've missed the point and you're not thinking big enough. Now, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses, watch the movement, in Jerusalem and then out to the region of Judea and to the enemy region of Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Basically, what the disciples asking was, are you going to do what we expect and want you to do? And Jesus' response is, no, you're missing the point and thinking too small. So here's our big idea before we look at five quick movements in the book of Acts in our life. You see, like the followers of the way, which is what the movement of Jesus was called at that time in Acts, We make the road by walking with God. I love that Jesus' answer was not just you're thinking too small, but I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And you're going to have to put one foot in front of the other and figure it out as you go. Has this been your experience with God? God, give me patience. Do you expect that some USB drive gets inserted into your heart, and like some robot, you get the new application for patience, and boom, you're just immediately patient. Or does he give you children to learn you some patience? Does he give you that co-worker the next day and give you opportunity to hush and be patient? Is it true That we make the road by walking. The Holy Spirit's not going to drag them to Jerusalem. They're going to march to Jerusalem. Some might die, but they're going to see that God meets them when they take a step. They say, I don't have the resources to do that. Well, maybe I'll give them to you. I think so often we want grace for 30 days from now. And God says, let's start with paying attention to the grace of the next breath. The invitation for disciples, then and now, is to pay attention to God and respond appropriately. Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses to everyone everywhere. 
but you'll have to trust the Holy Spirit and see where the story goes as you're going. That he might be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. But it only is useful if we're moving ahead. So let's roll the clips. The first movement is from earth to the Father. This is what we just saw. Students, if you've got a handout, these are your first two blanks. Now, from earth to the Father, Jesus goes and ascends at the right hand of the Father. He is the reigning Lord of heaven and earth. All authority has been given to him. And then you say, what are we going to do now? Jesus left. Jesus said, because all authority is given to me and you abide in me, therefore, go. Go and make disciples. Go and do the thing you've been trained to do for three years. You're off of training. Now it's active duty. From earth to the Father. That's where Jesus moves. And because Jesus is now in the space of God, and another name for that is heaven, he provides to us the resources we need to do what we could not do otherwise without his help. So in Acts chapter 2, we get the dramatic movement from heaven to God's people. We're trying out these new student handouts. Those are your next two blanks. From heaven to God's people. You can write Acts chapter 2 there. We have the Holy Spirit filling and forming. And the fascinating thing is this is a big theological movement because for millennia, the place where heaven and earth met was at the temple. And now Paul will later say this strange thing that you're the temple. And what Paul was doing was not saying don't get tattoos because your body is a temple. He was saying Y'all are a temple. He was in a living room looking at the people and saying, it may not feel like it because we just are eating and talking about Jesus and praying. But right here, right now, with this body of believers, you are the place where heaven and earth meets. And it all started with the birthday of the church in Acts chapter 2. From heaven, we're given God himself, and the Holy Spirit. That's when God's people have the third movement. And it's from the gathering to the street. It's a dramatic outpouring. They're speaking in tongues. There's what looks to be like fire resting on people. It's a wild and dramatic scene because at that moment, they had just still missed the point in Acts chapter one. God needed to make it abundantly clear that, hey, pay attention, Something's happening. And so they get out of their church walls and they go into the marketplace and they begin speaking in the languages, literal languages that people could understand. And they were saying, this is what it looks like when heaven comes to earth. This is good news. This is a story for you. And what's remarkable is once they're able to get outside of the church, they meet people who they wouldn't have met otherwise. 
And so what they do is they meet the Samaritans that they would have walked around and never seen. But they remember that Jesus said, you've got the power now to go into Samaria and speak to the ones that you would never speak to. And then they meet an Ethiopian that the Holy Spirit makes a divine connection. And Philip comes alongside and helps him understand the story of God in Scripture. And now an Ethiopian who is a sexual minority, a eunuch, he was a racial minority in that space in Jerusalem. All of a sudden, he can be baptized too from the gathering to the street. And then we see just to make clear the point that Luke and the Holy Spirit really do mean everyone, we find the biggest persecutor of Christians becoming one of them. We see in Acts chapter 9 and 8, Saul becoming Paul, changing his name because he adopted the family name of Christ. One in whom Christ dwells from enemy to family. And then, just to emphasize it even further, in Acts chapter 10, Peter pays attention to God when he's waiting for lunch to get served. And he imagines a large picnic blanket being brought down from heaven. And the voice of Jesus says, okay, get up. It's time to go fry some bacon. And Peter, a good and faithful Jew who had not eaten pork in his entire life, like his father and grandfather and great-grandfather and great-grandfather, no one has eaten pork because what was once forbidden now seems to be allowed. And so the sheet gets let down and then all of a sudden he realizes after arguing in the vision with the voice, he gets a knock on the door and he gets invited to a Gentile's home. And the reason that Peter had never eaten in a Gentile's home is because he didn't know what the Gentile would serve. It may be against the Levitical law. And so what happens is he says, oh, that's what that vision was about. He paid attention to God and responded appropriately. And he crossed the threshold into new territory, into a new frontier. Because if you can eat with those people, then you can worship with those people. And if you can worship with those people, you can be on mission with those people. And what was once forbidden is now perceived in the church as God's given and once that barrier is removed, now we can see the age-old promise that Israel would be a blessing to all nations. Now we can eat and worship together. It seems that God has moved on from a good thing into where the thing was headed all along. It's not about sacrifice. Jesus was the sacrifice. It's not about circumcision. It's about baptism. It's about faith. It's not about the temple. We're where heaven and earth meet. Do you understand that the church in one generation reoriented the staples of a centuries-old faith in the matter of a handful of years by paying attention to God and responding appropriately. Why do we think that God is still not moving? Why do we think that God is still not inviting a community to pay attention and respond appropriately? 
Peter did, Philip did, Paul did, will we trust the Holy Spirit and see where the story goes as you're going, trusting that grace and power will meet you with each step? Here's a couple questions I'll leave you with for reflection. What do you learn from the first followers of the way? There's some pretty radical departures and movements that they made. But isn't there something that still had the fingerprints of God on it? They didn't drum it up from nothing. They said, yeah, God always wanted us to be a blessing to all nations. Maybe we should interact with the nations in order to do that. What do you learn from the first followers of the way? Huh, this Holy Spirit, the prophet Joel talked about this. Huh, it's still got the fingerprints of God on it. Second, is my heart's factory setting, your default setting, resistance or openness to the new thing that God seems to be doing? I think my factory setting, I would offer a third And it's like, I'm pretty sure, but I'm going to sit down and think about it for like a few years before I say, oh, okay, yeah, let's start walking. But that didn't fit on the slide. I'll close with this, a quote from Frederick Frederick Buechner. He says, the place that God calls you to is a place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Raise your hand if you've heard some version of this quote before. You've heard some version of it because Frederick Buechner said it in many ways, in many places, a lot. And it's a beautiful, discerning place of your own vocation. What gives you joy? What keeps you moving forward? That's your deep gladness. But if you pay attention, a step toward God always leads to a step toward others. So the world's deep hunger might be the place that benefits from your deep gladness and joy. An addendum to that quote in this space, Frederick Buechner says, the kind of work God usually calls you to is the kind of work that A, you most need to do, and B, that the world most needs to have done but we got to move. We got to keep paying attention and responding appropriately. Yesterday at grandpa's funeral, I read Psalm 23 and I gave a bunch of memories that were collected from our family. And toward the end, we talked about how the memory that kept coming up most was the stories that he would tell and how those stories reflected something back of what was most important to him. And we kept talking about how he traveled to seven different continents. One of nine children born in Mississippi during the Great Depression went to dozens of countries and seven continents, covered a lot of ground and movement. But the stories that he told the most in the last few years were not about seeing penguins in Antarctica or the safaris in Africa. He talked about how proud he was of his kids loving each other, going to college, staying on the right track. 
And we began to talk about with him in the last few years of how the shepherd has walked with us. The shepherd has walked with him. But the question is whether or not we're aware of the one who walks beside us. Whether it's to Antarctica or out into the parking lot, would we pay attention and respond appropriately in love and faith? This is the invitation. We see it throughout every page of the story of Acts, and I long to see it in our own lives, being open and present and looking for what God might do next. Amen and amen. Go now as God's chosen witnesses to testify that Christ has been raised and that we are raised with him. Do not look for him among the dead, but be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And may God raise you from all that would entomb you. May Christ Jesus call you by name and go ahead of you. And may the Holy Spirit empower you for all that is good. We go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. In the name of Christ, amen.